Well, it is Memorial Day weekend, and we're glad that you have uh, prioritized gathering with God's people for worship on this weekend. You know, Memorial Day is uh, uh, one of those holidays that uh, kind of grew uh, in our nation. Uh, It's originally called Decoration Day, a day of remembrance for those who died in our nation's service. Uh, It's distinct from Veterans Day. Veterans Day is the day that you celebrate and remember uh, veterans uh, and particularly honor those who are still living. Memorial Day is really focused on remembering those who gave their lives in service to our country. There are many stories to its actual beginning. Uh, over two dozen cities and towns lay claim to being the birthplace of Memorial Day. There's evidence that uh, organized women's groups in the South were decorating graves uh, by the end of the Civil War. Memorial Day was officially proclaimed May 5th, 1868 by General John Logan, National Commander of the Grand Army of the Republic in his General Order Number 11. It was first observed May 30th, 1868, when flowers were placed on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. The first state to officially recognize the holiday was New York, 1873. In 1971, it became an official federal holiday. Well, one of perhaps the unintended consequences in making it that holiday and making it part of a a three-day weekend is that it's kind of lost some of its meaning. Uh, It's become uh, kind of about sales or uh, travel or kickoff to summer or opening the pool or uh, whatever it might be and all good, wonderful things we can enjoy in this nation. But somehow in the midst of uh, all of that, some of the, the remembrance has, has perhaps been lost. And so we just wanted to take a little time uh, this Sunday morning as, as for many and most of us here, citizens of this country, but also citizens of another kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, and reflect on what is it that on a weekend like this, with a holiday like this occupying our calendar, what is it that we should be taking time to remember. And remembrance is certainly a, a thing that the Scripture encourages uh, over and over and, and over again. The prophet Isaiah uh, challenged uh, the, the people of, of Israel, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. That remembering was, was central to the faith. It was what Passover was about. It was about uh, what, what so memorial stones and all of these things were about remembering and the importance of remembering. And so as we think about the kind of that biblical precedence and we think about this holiday, uh, what are some things that, that we should remember? And let me just uh, suggest three to you this morning. Certainly, as citizens of this great uh, country, uh, we should remember those who gave their lives for our freedom. Those who gave their lives for our freedom. John's gospel says there is no greater love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we remember men and women through countless uh, decades now who who have stood in harm's way, many who have uh, given their lives so that you and I could enjoy 
unprecedented freedoms. I mean, there's never been uh, the amount of opportunity, the amount of freedom, the amount of of economic prosperity and abundance uh, that we enjoy as a nation. And so much of that has been secured by men and women who have given their lives. If you spend time in Washington, D.C., as, as many of us have, you have, have no doubt seen uh, the, the different memorials there, uh, many of them having to do with those who have given their lives. Uh, one of them is the uh, memorial uh, to the Marines, and it signifies the planting of a flag in World War II, the island of Iwo Jima. An incredible story and an incredible toll. February 19th, 1945. The battle for Iwo Jima began in earnest. It was a barren eight-mile, eight-square-mile island, 600 miles south of Tokyo, guarded by 22,000 Japanese troops prepared to fight to the death, which they literally did. They were protecting two airstrips that America needed in a strategic effort to contain Japanese aggression after Pearl Harbor and preserve the liberty that we as Americans so cherish. It was a high cause, and the courageous sacrifice was stunning. The hard statistics, according to historians show that the sacrifice made by Colonel Johnson's 2nd Battalion, one example. 1,400 boys, many still teenagers, landed on D-Day. 288 replacements were provided as the battle went on. A total of 1,688 were a part of this 2nd Battalion. Of those 1,688, 1,511 had been killed or wounded. Only 177 walked off the island. And of the final 177, 91 had been wounded at least once and had returned to the battle. It had taken 22 crowded transports to bring the 5th Division to the island. The survivors fit comfortably onto eight departing ships. The American boys had killed about 21,000 Japanese But they had suffered 26,000 casualties in the process. That's deaths and woundings, casualties. This would be the only battle in the Pacific where the invaders suffered higher casualties than the defenders. The Marines fought in World War II for 43 months. Yet in one month on Iwo Jima, one-third of their total deaths occurred. They left behind the Pacific's largest cemeteries, nearly 6,800 graves in all, mounds with their crosses and stars. Thousands of families would not have the solace of a body to bid farewell. Just the abstract information that the Marine had died in the performance of his duty and was buried in a plot, aligned in a row, with numbers on his grave. Mike lay in plot three, row five, grave 694. Harlan, plot four, row six, grave 912. Franklin, 
plot eight, row seven, grave 2189. One historian writing about this closed with these words. When I think of Mike, Harlan, and Franklin there, I think of the message that someone had chiseled outside the cemetery. When you go home, tell them for us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. Let's hear that again on Memorial Day weekend. When you go home, tell them for us and say, for your tomorrow, We gave our today. Living in a land of unprecedented opportunity, an unprecedented freedom, with an abundance of resources, it is appropriate for us to remember those who gave their lives to help secure those freedoms. But as citizens not only of this nation, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it's also appropriate for us to remember some other things. Let us also remember those who gave their lives for our faith. Men and women and young people and children who gave their life for no other reason than they belonged to Jesus Christ, that they stood unapologetically on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go to the book of Revelation, you see the esteem that these martyrs are held in as you have this, this glimpse of this vision that, that John records for us. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar souls, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The story of the church of Jesus Christ is the story of martyrs' blood. It wasn't just back in the first century But it's the story of brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world, right here, right now. In fact is, it has been argued statistically that the 20th century was the deadliest century for followers of Jesus Christ in this world. The stories are so many, but I wanted you to hear just at least one of them this morning. Check this out. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. 
We received this calling from the Lord, but the Lord has got a purpose for us as a family to live out our love for Him, our love for the Africans, to serve. And here we are. God, take our lives and make with us whatever you find pleasant and, and good in your purpose. So it was a normal day for us, and Vanya just went to the office and he was teaching that morning. Actually, that was the routine every day. And for the children, if they didn't have a weekend or didn't interact with their friends, they were doing schoolwork. Both of them have got a deep walk with the Lord, and there's this hunger for the Lord that's very precious. And they are growing, they are growing in their faith day by day. And it's wonderful to be their mom and experience how they are growing um, and living their lives for the Lord in a place like Afghanistan. Most wonderful thing the parent can do for his child is to bring him up in the Lord's way so that he knows who his creator is and that he can have a loving relationship with the Lord and live a life for that purpose. I've asked myself many times in the past, Lord, is this really where you want us? Because of all the difficulties, the challenges, we can lose our lives any time for the Lord. When I look at that in the spiritual realm, I know that he will not take us to a place like Afghanistan and just dump us there and he doesn't have a plan and a purpose for that. So I know 100% that we are in the right place that we are obedient to the calling. Lord, please help us. Come on, we gotta get out of here. We have to get out of here. Take me. I would tell my children, um, John Pierre and today, you will face a very difficult day today. Um, and I'm not going to be there to help you. And Daddy is also not going to be there to help you. But Jesus is going to be there to help you through this. And he will be there. He promised never to leave us, nor forsake us. I believe they are in front of the Lord's throne, worshipping Him, praising Him, glorifying Him. And that they are just waiting for me to finish the race as well.
check out the website for more information about praying and, and some more of those stories. But it is appropriate on a weekend when we remember to remember those brothers and sisters in Christ who have given their lives, the lives of their spouses, their children, grandchildren, for the cause of Jesus Christ to fulfill that great commission for the glory of God. We remember those who gave their lives for our freedom, those who gave their lives for our faith. But it is certainly appropriate and central for us to continually remember the one who gave his life for our salvation, for our salvation and for our forgiveness. Jesus Christ, who gave up the glories of heaven to enter into this world, to voluntarily walk and be tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and then to, according to the the purpose and plan of God, go to the cross to, to pay the penalty for our sin, my rebellion and your rebellion, so that He could offer to us forgiveness. He could offer to us reconciliation with God. He could offer to us life. He could offer to us what we could never deserve and never earn on our own. Paul put it succinctly as he was writing to the Romans, for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is why we gather. The cross is why we can have hope. Uh, The the cross is is that which which gives us hope not only for the moment, not only for the present challenges and difficulty, but for all eternity. And yet it's the cross of Jesus Christ that continues to be in question. Even among those who claim to be part of a larger Christian community. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I, I may upset a couple of you in just next moment, but I'm just going to share with you the truth because discernment is absolutely needed. Just in recent days, various voices are raising objections to the cross. The musician Michael Gunger called the atonement evil and horrific on Twitter, decrying a God who would mandate blood sacrifice for sin. William Paul Young, the author of the 200 million copies selling The Shack, concurs, and this is where I'm going to get in trouble. I had a family got so upset with me for even questioning anything that was written in The Shack that they left the church. But what was disturbingly implicit in that book, he has made quite explicit in his next book, The Lies We Believe About God. Young says of Christ's death, who originated the cross? If God did, then we worship a cosmic abuser 
who in divine wisdom created a means of tor- to torture human beings in the most painful and abhorrent manner. Frankly, it is often this very cruel and monstrous God that the atheist refuses to acknowledge or grant credibility in any sense, and rightly so. His words, better no God at all than this one. Please don't miss this. The most popular Christian writer in recent years labels the biblical God a cosmic abuser. It's an old heresy. It's been around for centuries, dressed up in new garb. Please understand, the cross of Jesus Christ is central. It is central to our hope. It is central to our faith. It is central to forgiveness. And it is all connected to the life, the sacrificial, atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And so today we remember. We remember the one who gave his life for our salvation. As we remember, then the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond in light of those who have given their life for our freedom and those who have given their lives for our faith and the one who gave his life for our forgiveness and for our salvation? Well, I would suggest to you at least three words. And the first word is gratitude, is gratitude. That of, of all the, the things that we, 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 we can do and should do, that it is, it is to, to live with, with a sense of profound gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done for us. Gratitude for the freedoms that we enjoy that have been secured by others. Gratitude for the, the courage and the example of men and women who have given their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gratitude for those those who gave their life so that we could even have a Bible and a language that we can understand. Gratitude. Paul, when he wrote about to the Philippians, his, his heart was filled with gratitude for their faith. I thank my God, he wrote to them, in all my remembrance of you. And as we remember, gratitude should fill our hearts. Gratitude for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul would write to the Corinthians, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can be thankful I have a victory, a victory over sin, a victory over death, a victory over disease, a victory over over any problem that may come into my life because God is greater than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ speak to the victory that I have. And I have said it again and again and again, and I'll never get tired of saying it. Somebody asks, how are you doing? And my answer is better than I deserve. Better than I deserve because I know. I know what my sin deserved. In fact, is the more I spend time in his presence, the more I recognize what I didn't deserve and what I did deserve. And it fills your heart with gratitude. Gratitude for the love, the life, the death, the burial, the sacrifice, the grace the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm convinced that followers of Jesus Christ ought to be the most grateful people on the planet, right? 
But sometimes we, we get caught up, don't we? we? We get caught up in a little sense of entitlement. That I, I, I deserve this, or my life should be easier. Or why is my road difficult, and the, this road seems to be so much easier? Why am I having to deal with that, and they're not having to deal with it? Why are they getting to do that, and I don't get to do that? And, and sometimes this, this entitlement creeps in. And in those moments, I have to come back to the cross of Jesus Christ and remind myself of His incredible, amazing grace. Remind myself of the incredible provision and freedom. An opportunity I have in this nation. Remind myself of the price that brothers and sisters in Christ have paid and are paying right here, right now, across the world. And I live with gratitude. A joyous gratitude for the grace of God. But not only gratitude, but I think a second appropriate response on a weekend of remembrance and actually a life of remembrance is consecration is consecration of understanding that 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 we have been set apart by God's activity that we have been been given this tremendous opportunity and to whom much is given much is indeed required and in those moments when I reflect on that it, it causes me to say God I want my life to matter I want my life to count I don't just want to drift along I don't want to just chase the American dream but God I, I want your dream for my life I want to fulfill your purpose and your calling for my life. And Paul, as he wrote to the Romans, he, he wrote chapter after chapter of this theological treaty on the, on the, the, the value of God's grace and the, the, the work that Christ had done through his atoning death. And he comes to the beginning of what we would call chapter 12. And he says, therefore, in light of what God's done, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect that I come with this sense of, of God in response to all that you have provided, in response to all the freedom I have, all the opportunity, all that you have given, in response to mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace, I consecrate. I present my body, my very being to you as a living sacrifice. And as I do, he enables me to not be conformed to this world, but transforms me in the renewal of my mind. And, and in so doing, I begin to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I respond with gratitude. I respond in a consecration of my one and only life. And a third word is a glad surrender. A glad surrender that builds on that consecration. That as I understand who God is and what God has done, I, I gladly surrender myself to Him. I gladly entrust myself to Him. In light of the cross, Paul said, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously 
give us all things. And I come to this moment and say, I can trust Him. I can surrender to Him. I can follow Him all in and all out because of all that He has provided in Jesus Christ. Do I disillusion myself? Do I deceive myself and think that somehow He has gone to all that expense? He has gone to all that extreme to save me, to rescue me through the cross of Jesus Christ, to abandon me at any point along the way? No, 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 no. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As I think about those who gave their lives for our freedom, those who gave their lives for our faith, the one who gave his life for our salvation. Think of that picture in Hebrews. Hebrews talks about being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And as you think about that, that great cloud of witnesses, it begins to impact how you live your one and only life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Live your life on purpose. Live your life with a a, a sense of, of running with endurance, running with joy, the unique race that God has marked out for you. Lay aside sin, lay aside lesser things so that you can gladly surrender to the rightful rule and reign and the perfect will of Christ Jesus for your life. A.D. 44, as you walk through some of the records of church history, you begin to understand those who have gone before us, those who knew Christ and followed his example that core group of apostles. A.D. 44, King Herod ordered that James the Greater be thrust through with a sword. He was the first of the apostles to be martyred. And so the bloodbath began. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Doubting Thomas was pierced with a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive in India. In A.D. 54, the proconsul of Heropolis had Philip tortured and crucified because his wife had been converted to Christianity while listening to Philip preach. Philip continued to preach even while on the cross. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just was thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. After somehow surviving the 100-foot fall, he was clubbed to death by a mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified 
by the governor of Syria in AD 74. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death and then beheaded. And Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he did not want to be crucified in exactly the same manner as his Savior had been. John, the beloved disciple, is the only one to die of natural causes. But that's only because he survived his own execution. When a cauldron of burning oil could not kill John, the emperor Diocletian exiled him to the island of Patmos. Every Christian living in a first world country in the 21st century should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a reality check that puts our first world problems into a whole different light and a different perspective. It redefines risk and it sets the standard for sacrifice. Mark Batterson writes, By comparison, many of our risks seem rather tame, and many of our sacrifices seem somewhat lame. Our normal is so subnormal that normal seems radical. To the first century disciples, normal and radical were synonymous. We've turned them into antonyms. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus threw down the gauntlet with his disciples. He wanted to see who was in and who was out, or more accurately, who was all in. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. The disciples took this literally. We can at least take it figuratively. I'm not suggesting we will die physically for Christ, but we must die to ourselves. If Jesus hung on his cross, we can certainly carry ours. And that isn't just our greatest responsibility, it's our highest privilege. Anything less than the complete surrender of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is robbing God of the glory he demands and deserves. And it's also cheating ourselves out of the eternal reward that God has reserved for us. We won't come alive in the truest and fullest sense until we die to self. We won't find ourselves until we lose ourselves in the cause of Christ. Perhaps Memorial Day weekend is as good a time as any to call for an ante-up. To say, in light of those who died, for our freedom, for our faith, the one who died to give us life, will you take unprecedented opportunity and freedom and live all in and all out for him? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Oh, Father. We, we are so blessed. Eh, honestly, Lord, I think it has been 
the water we've been swimming in for so long, we can't hardly even realize it. Father, would you, even this morning and over these next few days, Lord, would you just graciously remind us of the greatness of our God, of the greatness of the price that was paid for the life, the life we now live and enjoy, the abundance of life we can step into, the eternal life we can take hold of. Father, would you teach us how to take our one and only life and live it in such a way that it gives to you the proper honor, the proper glory, the proper reflection and response that you deserve. Father, would you help us to understand not just in our heads, but in the core of our being, that when we seek to hold on to our life, we actually lose it. But when we give our life for something, for someone greater than ourselves, it is then that we discover the life that is truly life. Oh, Lord, let us live. Let us live as you designed rescued and empowered us to be. Now I'm just going to invite you now to just sit before the Lord for just a couple more moments this morning as we're gathered.